Good morning. morning. Welcome, I'm glad you're here. Ask not what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, then go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I love that. It's a quote from Howard Thurman, by Howard Thurman, who um, the book we're using this month, Meditations of the Heart, is a collection of writings by Howard Thurman. It's a collection of meditations, actually, that he used for his church bulletins, as well as for what he termed quiet time, which was a period of time during every service at his church, which we would call meditation. And they are, if you do not have this book, I highly recommend it. It has lovely, lovely writings in it, one of which um, Kate Barrett read Friday night for my ordination, and it was just beautiful. Howard Thurman was a spiritual advisor to Martin Luther King, which I did not know. Um, He also, at one point, was cited by Life magazine as one of the great preachers of the 20th century. Didn't know that either. I am grateful that while we cannot hear him, we still can in a way because of the works that he has published. And he has beautiful, I find to be very heart-stirring meditations that are quite lovely. This week we are looking at being versus doing, and that is what Howard Thurman wrote and spoke to, particularly in this book. It's called Meditations of the Heart, and I think that that has to be where meditations are, really. In fact, I believe that is where everything has to take place. Some of it can begin up here in order for it to be transformative, it needs to make its way into our hearts so that we can experience it. And this is also where our being, when we talk about beingness versus doingness, this is where our beingness resides, is in the heart space, in the heart place. And it is in being that we come alive. Being is what we are, whereas doing is Well, what we do, oddly enough. And there you have it. No, being is in here, and doing is what goes on out here. And I don't think one is inherently any better than the other. Uh, I think it depends on what's driving us in, in either place, if you will. And it is our willingness to learn how to be that can define what we do how we do, how we show up in the world. So it is our willingness to learn how to be that defines our doing, if you know what I mean. And it is my observation that we tend, myself included, we tend to spend a whole bunch of time doing and not a whole lot of time being. Because of that, I think our doing is greatly impacted and perhaps not always the way we would like it to be. And it also begs the question, why? Um, Why do we spend so much of our time doing? Is it because that's what we know how to do? Or is it because we try to keep ourselves busy in order to avoid something? Have we lost the ability to just be? Did we ever learn how to just be? And if we haven't, um, how, do we know, how do we do that? 
how do we learn how to just be and why bother? What difference does it make? See, I think that there is doing as a natural expression of being, and then there's doing instead of being. So what are we doing, and why are we doing it? And do we need to add, learn how to be on our to-do list? (laughs) I couldn't help it. It was there. I had to take it. I am reminded of a sketch in the TV series Taxi. Did anyone else here watch that series ever? It was a really, it was very cleverly written. And there was this guy named Jim Ignatowski. He was the burned out 60s guy. And he did it really well. And he was taking his driver's test at the DMV because lo and behold, he was a taxi driver and they discovered he did not hold a license of any sort. And so the rest of the cast went with him for moral support and coaching. And at one point, Jim whispers loudly, what does a yellow light mean? And the Judd Hirsch character said, slow down. So Jim said, what does a yellow light mean? (laughs) And the Judd Hirsch character said, slow down. Jim's getting exasperated by now. What does a yellow, you see where we're going. They did this for several minutes. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. And I think sometimes this is illustrative of how we live, or maybe it's just me, but slow down, huh? Are you kidding? No, no, no. We want to speed up. See, we do things now, we call it multitasking. We, if you're doing just one thing at a time, that's like, yeah. I was going to say something, but I decided not because it was sexist. But anyway, <clears throat> if you're doing one thing at a time, you're considered slow, out of the loop, inept, um, whatever, because there are those of us that drive, operate a motorized vehicle, check our email, listen to NPR, text, all this stuff all at once, and the faster, the better. The more, the better, the faster, the better. And we're just being efficient, right? I don't know. I don't know if we are or not. Maybe we're just exhausting ourselves. I don't know. I think we may have lost the art of what Thurman calls the lull, what I call the exhale, the pause. Maybe we have forgotten how to do that. And so this week we're talking about what Thurman calls a lull in the rhythm of doing. And as Reverend Larry said last week, Thurman wrote in his time. So they did not concern themselves back then with um, gender or um, anything like that. Everything was he. God was a guy. If we can get ourselves over concerning ourselves with that for just a second, he has a lot um, for us to listen to. And I'm going to read just a little bit from A Lull in the Rhythm of Doing, where he says, the place of prayer and meditation in the life of a modern man is limited and hedged in by the multiplicity of details to which attention must be given as a normal part of the daily experience. It is true that in some sense a man's whole life may be regarded 
as a prayer. Ordinarily, what a man does is an expression of his intent. His intent is the focusing of his desiring, and his desires are the prayers of his heart. But such explanations are far from satisfactory. There is no argument needed for the necessity of taking time out for being alone, for withdrawal, for being quiet without and still within. The sheer physical necessity is urgent because it is the body and the entire nervous system that cries out for the healing waters of silence. One could not begin the cultivation of the prayer life at a more practical point than deliberately to seek each day a lull in the rhythm of daily doing, a period when nothing happens that demands active participation. It is a wonderful way with which to begin the day or to bring one's day to an end. At first, the quiet times may be quite barren or merely a retreat from exhaustion. One has to get used to the silence, even after it has been achieved. The time may be used for focusing and refocusing one's purpose in the light of what at first may be only one's idea of the best and the highest. Then quiet changes begin to take place. Somewhere along the way, one's idea of the best, the highest, takes on a transcendent character and one begins to commune, to communicate with one's idea of the best and the highest. Only a man does not talk to or with an idea. When the awareness of God comes in, and how God entered, one does not know. One is certain that God has been there all the time. So a lull in the rhythm of doing, then, is a pause. It's an exhale. And it is the experience, the practice, of withdrawing from all the activity out here, all the reactivity to what's going on out here into the quiet of in here. And the more time that we spend in here, the more present we become to what's going on out here. And I have been thinking about this business of being and doing. It's interesting. I observe a couple of things. One is that I equate being with cause and doing with effect. In other words, our outer life is a direct reflection of what's going on in here. And this is about our insides matching our outsides, which I, up until not that long ago, unfortunately, um, I was confused about that. I was thinking that I would start in here, and then my work was to be to watch myself out here and check in periodically to see that that matched. And I was doing it backwards, come to find out. I was having a conversation with someone not long ago, and we were talking about a way in which I had showed up in the world, and I looked at that and I said to him, I said, oh, I said, that's not who I am. 
And very gently he said, well, actually, it's exactly who you are. I was thinking of matching my outsides to my insides, and what I have found is that actually my outsides reflect what is going on inside that I might not be aware of. And so what I know now to be the truth is that my insides always match my outsides. And if I don't like what's going on, how I'm showing up outside, then I need to go in here and do the work. So the outside becomes like a signpost rather than something that's distorted and out of whack. It becomes a signpost for me to go within and do the work in my own heart so that then organically I show up the way I truly am. So it's the truly am part. But that was quite an awakening for me when he said that. Well, actually, that's exactly who you are. It's like, oh, crap. (laughs) It is not as I wish it to be. (laughs) So, Reverend Larry spoke last week about the need for silence. He began this series with Howard Thurman. And it is in the quiet that we remember who we are. It is in the silence that God speaks to us And it is only in the silence that we can hear. It is the lull that we live and move and have our being in. That's where it actually is. This, on a good day, is the reflection of that. And so our motivation, the why for learning how to do this, learning how to be, our motivation, motivation, excuse me, is that it's the opportunity to refresh or, as one might say today, to reboot. It's an opportunity to stop and just take a breath and see where we are, really. Not so much out here, but in here. So Reverend Larry's homework last Sunday was um, to take even five minutes a day for meditation, just setting some time aside and just going within. How many of us are doing that? Oh, good. Some of us are. It takes practice. I think that's probably why they call it a practice. And like Reverend Larry said, it will change your life. And I know it's true. It has mine. And I can remember years ago starting out with two minutes. And I used a timer. (laughs) Two minutes. And I would actually look up to check how I was doing during two minutes. That was a huge commitment on my part. I mean, it was huge. It felt like forever. See, I prided myself on multitasking, I think before I even knew, before that term was even used. I ran public accounting firms. I was the office administrator for public accounting firms in Marin County. I was going to college at night, and I was raising three kids. My husband traveled a lot. So I was doing all that stuff all at the same time. And to stop for even one second never occurred to me. Never. And back then when I began this, two minutes seemed like two hours, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I would actually look up and see how many, you know, certainly it's got to be two minutes by now, because it seemed like forever. And now an hour seems like 10 minutes. And it's been, I've been at this for more than 15 years now. And when I began back then, a regular meditation practice, people noticed before I did. People commented, my staff commented at this one 
uh, place in Napa County, actually, they said I was much calmer, much easier to be around. Well, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me being around me in the first place, but that was another story. <laughs> but I mean, they actually said that. And when I started getting that feedback, I checked and I realized I felt calmer. I felt different. I felt uh, quieter, more you know, grounded. The thing is, there's nothing wrong with doing. It's just that I have found that doing goes so much more smoothly when I spend some time in being. <clears throat> and I think that sometimes we really stack things up. You know, our to-do list gets really big, <clears throat> excuse me, really long, because either we have forgotten how to be, or maybe we have some anxiety around slowing down. Are we afraid to hear our own thoughts? Are we afraid to feel what we suspect we might be feeling underneath there somewhere? Are we just doing, 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 hoping that if we move fast enough, our thoughts and our feelings won't catch up with us? Are we doing to avoid being? And one way to find out is to slow down and notice how you feel. Notice how you feel about that. Get in your car and don't turn the stereo on. Notice how you feel. For some people, that's a, that's a really big one. You know, if you're one of those folks that has to have something, some noise all the time, try to eliminate that for just five minutes and see, just see what, what goes on in there. Do you start to feel anxious, antsy, restless, like you have to do something right away, like you have to turn on the radio right away? Do you feel like you have to fill each and every moment of each and every day of each and every week with something, anything? Larry talked last night. He shared last night. He shared la I didn't see Larry last night. I talked to him on the phone, but I didn't see him. Anyway, he talked last week about his experience at practitioner retreat, and it triggered my own memory of my first practitioner retreat, lo, those many years ago. Uh, they did not tell us beforehand that there was going to be any time of silence, which is probably good because I think the participation level probably would have dropped quite a bit. But so there are some 30 of us at this retreat center in the boonies in Northern California, and they announced that we're going to be going into the silence for 24 hours beginning tomorrow. You want to talk about deer in the headlights, and I was not the only one. All of us were like, oh my God. As the time approached, I could feel my anxiety level rising. And I had no, I didn't know why. There were going to be 24 hours without speaking, so what? After four hours of this silence, I was literally in tears. And I had no idea why. And it took some time with the practitioner and some time on my own to realize that I did not know how to be alone. I did not know how to be quiet. I was raised to do. I was not raised to be. Being is not productive. It's about doing, right? I grew up on a farm with six little brothers and sisters that I was in charge of most of the time. It never occurred to me to be, I didn't even know what that was. 
I didn't know anything, obviously, with six little kids. I knew nothing about silence at all. I literally could not hear myself think, which I think was probably just as well, because some years later, what I think I discovered, what I came to was that I believed if I wasn't talking, I might just disappear altogether. Maybe no one would even know I was there. So you can imagine how being quiet would not be number one on my list. I had to learn to be quiet. But first, I had to want to be. I had to be willing to face whatever might show up in the silence. Whatever thought, whatever feeling, whatever. And at first, that silence was really hard to get to because the space was filled up with thought after thought after thought, and I believed every single one. Every single one. It wasn't a thought so much as a truism. It was true. I believed my own press. And thoughts are just thoughts, unless and until we give them some sort of power. That's all they are. And so you can actually get to the point, and I know this because I did it, you can actually get to the point where you can just watch them float by with no attachment whatsoever. Really, you can. It's like watching a parade. And it can become a process of curiosity at first, and then you just get really bored. Oh, wait, that's just me. I got really bored because you know what I realized? Someone said that we have 3,000 thoughts a day, and I think that's probably true, that I could have 3,000 thoughts a day, but guess what? It's the same five, over and over and over again. It seems like it. It, I, it was like watching the same thing over and over again. After a while, I'd just go blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and after a while, with no attention paid to it, the thought just disappears. It really does. It just goes back where it came from, wherever that was. And in its place, the lull, the quiet, the pause. And after a while, the silence. Everything just slows down until it's just... Silent. The place where we take the time to ask ourselves what makes us come alive, that's the silence. And hanging out in the silence, in the lull, changes everything. It changes everything. It recharges, it renews, it refreshes, it reframes. It changes everything. The mystic Joel Goldsmith said that there is a silence within each and every one of us that has the power to transform our human experience and that our job is to recognize its presence and let it fulfill its mission. It cannot fulfill its mission unless and until we hold still long enough for it to do so. So where to begin? Well, first we have to make room for being. And a natural place to start, which is why Larry mentioned it, is meditation. A meditation practice that can start out just a teeny-weeny snippet of time. And guess what? You will lose absolutely nothing. You will lose no time whatsoever, I promise. You will lose nothing by taking five or ten minutes out a day to just stop and be still. 
In fact, you will gain a whole bunch. You will gain clarity. You'll gain focus, more energy. You will get back that five or 10 minutes and more just in that same day alone when you do that. The mind becomes less cluttered so that the doing becomes cleaner and crisper. And after a while, we even learn how to be in the doing. And what, how I experience that is even when I have a lot of activity going on, I can still feel that place within that is just, just feels like, it's almost like a cushion of silence, like a feather bed of silence. That's what it feels like for me. And so all of this beingness can take us out of autopilot. Have you ever gotten in your car, started your car, knowing where you were going, and ended up there without any idea of how you got there? Or maybe, maybe you weren't going, you weren't coming here. You meant to be going to Broadway Books, but instead, the minute you got in your car, you were on autopilot. And so you end up here instead of at Broadway Books. Okay, well, maybe that happened once, but... <laughs> but really, that's a great example, I think, of how we do stuff without even knowing we're doing stuff. We're not even there. We don't participate. So this can take us out of autopilot and into an increased awareness that colors everything. It colors everything we think, everything we do. It changes everything because we're bringing more awareness, more presence to our activity. We're bringing more here, here. So piggybacking on Reverend Larry's homework for last Sunday, I encourage, I invite you to Start, if you haven't already, with just five minutes a day. Just five minutes a day. And one way to do it is to observe your breath. Just observe the breath. You know, observe it going in and observe it, you know, going out. And then when you find your thought, you know, a thought happening, which you will, you just, it's not a big deal, you just bring it back to the breath. And you just keep doing that, keep practicing that. And it works. Because, see, there is something breathing us. That is not something we have to do. And observing it can bring us present, can bring us right here, right now. I know that for most of us, I don't think it's just me. And please lie if it is just me. <laughs> for most of us, stopping goes against everything that we think we need to do. See, we need to, be, we need to do more. We don't need to do less. And what I am saying is that the more calm, the more focused we are, the more we accomplish. And I know what's true because it's, that happens in my life. And the more time I can take out first thing in the morning, which is the best for me, although sometimes at night as well, that my whole day is different. And there has never been a day where I did a meditation practice that I didn't do everything that was on my list. 
It was just a whole lot easier. There's a story of Mahatma Gandhi and meditation. Well, I'm sure there's more than one, but apparently this one is that apparently this one day he had an especially packed schedule and his assistant going over it with him allowed us to how given his packed schedule, he, Gandhi, probably needed to cut his meditation time a little bit. And Gandhi's response was, oh, no, no, actually, I probably need to increase it. Given what my day is, I need to increase it. So start with just five minutes a day for those of you who are considering doing this, starting with just five minutes a day. And I promise you, I guarantee you, that it will change your entire life simply by changing your mind. <laughs> and it will. And that changes your entire life, which changes the life of everyone around you. Because the world needs more people that have come alive. I invite you to take the time to ask yourself, what makes you come alive? Because you're worth the question. And we're waiting. Let us pray. And so in this moment of remembering, I'm remembering that there is only one thing going on here. There is only one life, one heart, one soul, one mind. I call it God. And it is literally everything. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. It is this force, this source, this beingness that has always been, will always be, and is now fully orbed, fully present, in, through, and as me. All the power, all the beauty, all the truth, all the wisdom, everything, all the love that is God lives in and as me. It is the truth of me. I have nothing to do with it. It just is what I am. And because I know this for myself, I know it for every person in the sanctuary this morning. Every single one, a point at which the infinite shows up in its fullness, and so I speak this word for and about every one of us this morning, affirming and knowing our continued willingness to open up to the truth of who and what we are and to hold still long enough to reflect on that. To hold still long enough to remember that who and what we are is brilliant, is perfect. It's nothing we have to learn. Nothing we have to earn. Just something we have to remember. And I affirm that as we remember that, everything changes. That the world is more beautiful, that we are more fully present in it. And it is good. And in gratitude for knowing that God is all there is, and that means every single one of us, I release this word knowing that it is done. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you. Thank you.